Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Scott. And I'm Maddie. And welcome to the Harder Way podcast, episode 10. Wow. Already episode 10. I can hardly believe that this is our 10th episode. And not only that, but it is the sixth and final episode of the current series we've been doing. Exciting. And we didn't really think about doing a series. We just kind of did it. Yeah, we did the first episode. And then as we were talking, we realized, oh, it's really important that people understand all of these principles and characteristics and traits of resilient persecuted Christians. Yeah, and you know, I don't I don't want to say that we just got these ideas out of thin air or that we just read the Bible and said, "Okay, we think this is how it should be." Mm-hmm. Cuz that's not a bad place to start. Obviously. Right? But what we did was we looked at people who were resilient. Hmm. And were living in the really difficult areas of persecution. They were threatened with prison. They were losing their food. They were uh, losing um, opportunities to work and provide for their family. They were threatened with death. You know, these kinds of people, these are the ones that we're looking to um, for uh, this wisdom and this knowledge. And so we're going to share. We've shared the previous five weeks, uh, uh, several topics. And now we're going to share the final topic, which is the glue That holds Mm -hmm. them all together. Yes. So this encaptures the first five. Okay. And so the final principle, the sixth and final principle is living a Jesus-centered life. Ooh. Sounds very Christian-y. It sounds very Christian-y, doesn't it? Any, yeah. I mean, you put Jesus's name in it and it just gives it a nice Christianly flair. But we actually, it's interesting. We have a couple phrases that we've used to describe this principle. Uh, we'll say a Jesus-centered life. Uh-huh. We'll say a kingdom-centered life. Right. Uh, I believe in your dissertation, you actually used the phrase, uh, a focus on, on God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Focus on God's kingdom. You're also going to hear us reference it as... Uh, living a, a steward's life, living the life of a steward. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But what it all boils down to is not focusing on ourselves, our wants, our desires, not seeking out control for ourselves, but centering our life around Jesus, around Jesus's people, and around Jesus's priorities. So we're having a focus on the kingdom, not on the mingdom. Mingd, okay, that was uh, that was a bit of a stretch, but uh, we can go with it. But you know, when we take the focus off of me, I really feel like I don't want I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that, and I think many of us like to keep the focus on ourselves. That's right. I've been swimming in I've been swimming in Lake Me for a long time, and I've noticed that it's kind of shallow. (laughs) (laughs) that that one was pretty good okay that one was pretty good and so this idea of a jesus-centered life uh this focus on god's kingdom is something that you have seen firsthand and Mm. observed in these resilient persecuted christians so why don't you talk a little bit about what that looks like in their context before we jump into what that can look like in our context well in their context 
they literally there's there aren't things pulling away at them besides that real persecution mm-hmm. um, that are going to give them a lot of distractions from what they're doing. And we sure so, have a lot of distractions, right. don't so we? So before I even mention these things, understand that what we're talking about is we've we've run into a race of marathon runners and who run marathons successfully. And we're trying to learn to live lives the way they live so that when we're called upon to run a marathon, we can run a marathon successfully, right? Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. I remember reading a, a a article in Muscle and Fitness when I was a teenager. There was a bodybuilder and he was out someplace and um, he was a top level competitive bodybuilder. I can't think of his name right now. Um, but he was out someplace, a purse got snatched. Okay. And so he's going to be the hero. He's going to run after this skinny little guy that snatched a purse, chase him down, take the purse back, and save the day. Yeah. Takes his first step. And that's when he learned that he'd overdeveloped his quadriceps, the front part of his leg, mm-hmm. and he had underdeveloped his hamstrings, <gasps> the back part of his leg. Oh, no. First step, he snapped his own hamstring. Oh. And felt, so no purse wasn't saved, and he learned a very hard lesson that he probably still hurts him to this day. Oh, my uh, goodness. Imagine he's probably in his 70s or 80s by now, so he's probably in a lot of pain. The point is... That we don't want to pull a hammy when persecution mm-hmm. comes or when it gets worse. It's already There's already persecution for all Christians, but when it gets yes. worse. And so what we see in these Christians who are resilient despite persecution is, number one, their focus of their life is around Jesus. Mm. It's around his word. It's around worship. It's, it's that, that dynamic spiritual life that we uh that we talked about before. And not only is it around Jesus, it's around Jesus's people. The body, so the body of Christ. Community yeah. is calling to people, the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, because when you're focusing on the body of Christ, the body of Christ is the body of who? Christ. Christ. So, so you're, you're abiding focusing in on, Christ. You're fo- and you're focusing, focusing on, on Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then his purpose, his calling, his, his mission for your life. Mm-hmm. And we know that we have a mission in scripture that's laid out for us. Yes, we're told to go uh, into all nations and make disciples. We're we're told number one, we got we got to spread the gospel. We got to share this good news. And the other thing we're told is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and love, love your, your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. So that's what we would say. Those things, right? Uh, loving loving God, loving our neighbor, sharing the good news. Those are Jesus's priorities. Right. And so then what you see with resilient persecuted Christians is that those are their priorities as well. It's no longer about, you know, I've got to get my best life now. I have to make sure that I'm the richest and healthiest and happiest that I can possibly be, you know, amassing things for myself and laying out my life perfectly, you know, filling out my dream boards. And, you know, know, one of my Bible college professors, um, I, I really liked what he said. He said, the gods of this age are look right, act right, feel right. And now this new one, think right. And yeah. we could even add speak right in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that we are trying to serve in the persecuted church. Those are not, those are things that they've chosen because the communist governments typically, or the, or the Islamic governments have told them, this is how you're to think. This is how you're to look. This is this how you're how to you act. act. This is how you speak. Yeah. This is how you think. And they've said, I have to do what the Lord says. So I have mm-hmm. to orient my life around Jesus and around his purposes. They've made that hard choice. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, hey, choose it now. Choose it now before 
you're 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 in that situation where you're basically forced mm-hmm. because you know you use the example of the marathon, right? Right. Um, if if it, we'll say if and when uh, religious restriction increases in America, you know it gets to a point where if someone puts a someone puts a gun to your head and says, "Run a marathon," are you going to be able to run that marathon? Or are you going to be able to? You going to pull a hammy? Are you going to pull a hammy? Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what we're saying is that it's so important to look to these believers, these faithful Christians who have run the marathon, who are running the marathon, and saying, okay, what is it that's different about us and them? How are they running this marathon? Right. Right. And they have had the outside factor of severe religious restriction that has has forced them into that choice, right? Where it's either you're leaving Christianity altogether and you're just denying Christ and you're out, or you're leveling up big time. Right. And so these faithful Christians, those who are resilient under persecution, they leveled up. And so when we're looking at those differences and we see, okay, in order to be able to level up, they had to have a life that was centered around Jesus, his people, his priorities. And it doesn't look like what we think it looks like here in the United States. Yeah, it looks a little different. And so, you know, the theologians of old, well, you know what, let me jump back on something you said, and then I'll jump into the theologians. You said if or or when uh, persecution comes to America, we say that on purpose. Because we believe that we know, number one, religious restriction is already here. Mm-hmm. We know, number two, that wherever Christians are, there is some degree of persecution. But remember, the first person, as we discussed before, the first person that ever persecutes you is you. Is yourself, right? yeah. And so, Self-governing. Right. And that the Christians have control over the level of persecution based on their response to the restrictions that are placed upon them by outgoing forces. But we say if sometimes because we want to hold out hope, hope for the third great awakening, Hope for a revival, because if this the, this nation, the people in this nation, turn back wholeheartedly to Jesus, everything can go switch overnight. Mm-hmm. And so we always want to hold out for that hope. Uh, to us, that's one of the ways that we live as if God were real. Yeah. We'll discuss that statement in, in, in a little in just a moment. Uh, get me back on track, Manny. So the Jesus-centered life, his people, his priorities, and we said that um, that doesn't always look like what we think it looks like here in America. Right. So in America, we set our lives up this way. I'm at the center of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for maintaining my family. Mm -hmm. And if it gets too out of control, then I might ask God. Yeah. I'm responsible for maintaining my finances and my income and my prosperity. And if it gets too out of control, I might ask God. I'm in control of my ministry, how I, how, what I do in the church, and if it gets out of control, I might ask God. So every aspect of my life is centered around me, and God's relegated to like 10% of my life. He gets the spiritual, the spiritual stuff. spiritual stuff. Right, he gets an hour t- on Sunday morning. Hour on Sunday. Come on, hour and a half. <laughs> hour and a half. Sorry. Right, and if we go take someone to lunch, three hours. Yeah. Right, and then he gets 10% of 10% my income. 10% of my. Income. Income. And that's really the American way. And if you looked at a Christian and said, wow, they go to church every week, they take someone to lunch every week, they pay their tithe every week, maybe they even read their Bible a little bit, you'd say... Super Christian. (laughs) Super Christian. Wow, look at that. Wow. And what we're saying is that the evidence of the persecuted church says you've got your whole life all messed up. 
So what does the persecuted church's life look like compared to ours? We have a two kingdom world where I have 90%, God mm-hmm. has 10, I'm in charge, he's my helper. He's mm-hmm. my little buddy. He's my my little buddy. That sounds hor- that, that sounds sound horrible terrible? way to describe God. So, in the persecuted church, instead of having this two kingdom mindset, they actually have something that we would call a one kingdom mindset, and are living out something uh, that's described as steward theology. And the cool thing about this is that while you were working on your doctoral research and you were uh, interviewing these Christians, you were making your observations, you were doing your uh, scholarly studies. Um, I was actually working with an author and theologian, uh, a local guy, a really wonderful man. A scholar uh, scholar. A scholar scholar, yes. Yeah. Uh, named uh, Scott Rodin. He writes under the name R. Scott, R. Scott Rodin. Uh, and he is really the utmost expert in this concept of steward theology. And so while I was working with him, I was learning about this. And so you and I, you know, we'd be having dinner or we'd be in the car or whatever, and we're having conversations and we're realizing, wait a second, what I'm talking about with steward theology is what you're seeing lived out in the persecuted church. It was an amazing, It was really cool. Time. It was very exciting to see that connection. So what is it when we say a one kingdom living or steward theology? So it means that we don't own anything. Mm. We never did. And God owns all of it. Wait, if I don't own anything, I don't have to have the fear of loss because, mm-hmm. wow. Exactly. There's there's some, some big connections to be made when you start diving into this. Go on, but do tell. But it really comes down to this, that, that we are not called to control anything. Ah. And what have we talked about? Control is the action side of? Fear. Fear, right? And so we're no longer living a life based on fear. We're living a life based on, again, we're going through all these concepts again, trust in God's providence Mm. and God's sovereignty because we change the way that we look at our relationships and we look at our life. When you were describing the two kingdom living that we see primarily here in the United States, you know, you talked about my life, Mm. my relationship, my money, my ministry. But to a persecuted Christian who's living out this one kingdom life, it's, it's not my life. It's, Jesus's life. It's not my relationship. It's the relationships that God's given to me. It's not, uh, it's not my ministry. It's God's ministry. And so we, we then realize that it's not about us having to take control over anything, but it's about the fact that we are simply called to steward. So what do we mean? We use this word steward. It basically means that if God owns everything, We as stewards are called to uh, live out his uh, desires for us, his plans for us in these roles and jurisdictions that he gives to us in his sovereignty as he sees fit. Yeah, and so this steward theology concept, this Jesus-centered life concept, uh, where God is the owner and we are the stewards. In other words, we, we are taking care of what he gives us to take care of. It impacts four relationships. Mm-hmm. It impacts our relationship to God. Yes. So so God's in charge of that. You can see that in, in uh, God's covenant with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Old Testament, you can see that God taking control of both sides of the covenant. I'll, I've, I'll cover I'll it. I'll cover both, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 
it, it impacts my relationship to myself. Mm-hmm. How are we viewing ourselves? How I view myself. Our roles, our purpose. Yeah, it impacts my relationship with my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's like someone in the Bible said, "Who's my neighbor?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Good Samaritan. Uh, and then also, it impacts my relationship with creation. Yeah, with the with the world around us, because we then we then are no longer looking to amass things for ourselves. We're no longer looking to live out our goals, our dreams. We're looking to what is it that God has placed in front of me and asked me to steward. And one of the amazing things that happens when you make this switch and you see this very clearly in persecuted Christians uh, who are resilient is that viewing yourself as a steward really removes the issues that are huge here in society in general, but also with Christians, the issues of comparison and competition. Man, that is a big one. I mean, we're trained to do that from the time we're little kids, choosing teams. Who's the best one for my team? Yeah. <laughs> Pastors do it all the time. Who's the best person for my church? We've got to get Bill in our church. They mm-hmm. can contribute so much. Who's the best one for my ministry? Who's the best one for my business? And the steward theology is, who is God sending to me, what does God want to do with them? How is God going to use them mm-hmm. in this? And how can I interact with them? What can I do for them? How does the Lord want me to serve them? We stop seeing people as means to an end. And yeah. we see that so much in ministry where, you know, if you're living a two kingdom life and you feel that it's your ministry, not God's, and you feel that you're responsible for the outcome and you don't uh, understand this concept of stewarding your relationships with people, you look at people as nickels and noses. I need, I need you know, uh, people in the seats and I need money to get all this stuff done for my ministry. And you're not looking at how you can bless them or how God has called you to steward your relationship with them. It's all about what they can do for you. And we talked about this issue of, of competition and comparison where in our society, we look at what everyone else has and why don't we have it? Why does this church have so many people? How come this pastor has so much money? How come so-and-so has such an amazing family life and I have all these struggles? And it's all about comparison. And it creates dissatisfaction. Uh-huh. And I become filled with fear. Why don't I have what they have? Mm-hmm. Why don't I have enough? And so I, in pride, think I deserve to have what they have yep. or, or I know better than God. Ooh, and so yeah. I take control. The action side of fear. The action side of fear. And then my faith is over there being all flabby, not being exercised. The faith is not ready for the marathon, My faith is not ready for the marathon. Exactly. So let's take a minute uh, and let's go just kind of through the the topics we've touched on in this series. Yeah. And talk about how steward living is the glue. That holds all these together. Yeah. So the first one we talked about was community. Right. Living and uh, being engaged in meaningful Christian community. Okay. So when it comes to this idea of living as a steward, number one, it's going to change the way you interact with that community because you're viewing them as uh, something that God has given you to steward and you want to steward your relationships with them. It also means that you're not trying to control how things play out in your relationships with those people, but that you're trusting God for those outcomes. And I would add that, you know, the scripture tells us to love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. 
and to love God. And so the way that we treat those around us, those people who are image bearers of God, which is mm -hmm. all humans, has an implication on our loving of God and are we being obedient and loving our neighbor? So yeah, so community is huge. And of course, for Christians, we mean community is the body of Christ. And when yeah. we're connected to the body of Christ, we're connected to Christ. So mm -hmm. that's a Jesus-focused Jesus Jesus life. Now, now, calling is another one we discussed. And calling is, you know, we, we said that it's, we talked about the the, uh, the three callings, our higher calling. Our, hi our highest calling, our common calling, and our specific callings. So we know the highest calling uh, has to do with salvation and then, uh, and then our, but our specific calling, the calling that we have in our life, what is the, what is the thing that we're supposed to be doing when we're living as a steward? We know number one, if it has not been revealed to me, it's okay because it's not God's timing. Yep. What is my calling? I don't know, but the Lord knows. Mm -hmm. And it also is, we know that that when that does come, it comes from the master and mm -hmm. we steward that calling. It's not about what we want to do, what we think we should do. It's about uh, what is the Lord placed in front of me? Mm. And what's he calling me to steward? Right. And, what a, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, jumping into our next one, uh, we talked about having to have a redefinition of suffering. Right. And that plays very well into this concept of steward theology because suffering itself is something that we are called to steward. We talked about the fact that God is not causing us suffering, but that he, in his sovereignty, does allow suffering into our lives. For and our good for and our for his good glory. And, his glory. and if that's true, it means that that suffering is something that we need to steward. And when we steward suffering, we recognize suffering as an opportunity to develop great intimacy with Christ. Yeah, because there's an intimacy with Christ that can only be known through suffering because he suffered. Mm -hmm. And when he and so when we suffer, when we struggle, when we go through those things, it really leads us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so again, our life suffering helps us to refocus our lives, recenter yeah, our lives life. on Jesus. And that's when we're crying out, Lord, what's your purpose in this? Yeah. Yeah. Then we have the one that I would say most clearly connects with uh, One Kingdom Living, which is confidence providence. in God's providence. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because that, I mean, we don't even really need to explain that. That's that's what what this is is right. confidence in God to provide. It's not about us seeking control because we recognize it's all His. He's he in owns charge all of, of it. my he's in income, of it. and He's in charge of the outcome. Absolutely. And whatever whatever we need, if we don't have it, how are we going to get it? I don't know, but the Lord knows. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it builds our faith, draws mm -hmm. us closer to him, focuses us, us more on him, because now I'm looking to him as my provider, not to myself. I mean, I may have to do the work. Right. <laughs> but God's going to provide the opportunity. He's going to provide the health. He's going to provide yes. the mental acumen. And he may just provide it as a gift. It just depends on how he is determined that he wants to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's and next? The one we talked about last week is the one that's actually going to enable you to live a Jesus-centered life, which is a dynamic spiritual life. Right. Because here's the thing. If you are choosing to live a one kingdom life, if you are choosing to live as a steward, the steward has to understand the heart, the will, the desires of the master. And how are you going to do that? The only way we can do that is by having a dynamic spiritual life because having a dynamic spiritual life means having a deep, meaningful, personal relationship with the Lord. 
And so we do that through abiding in Christ, through worship, through prayer, through reading our Bibles. If we want to know about God and his character, if we want to know who the master is and what his heart is, we've got to read his book. So dynamic spiritual life, if we don't have that, we're not going to be able to live the life of a steward because it is so against all of our natural inclinations. Because in our own sinful nature, our focus is always going to be on ourselves. We're always going to be acting out of fear and looking to seek control. We're always going to be comparing ourselves to other people and feeling like we don't have enough. It's, we're not going to be able to live as stewards, to live this life that we see uh, being lived out by resilient, persecuted Christians if we don't have a dynamic spiritual life. But if we do, if we live, like I say, as if God were real, mm-hmm. because he is. Because he is. So right? we got to act like it. Actually act like he's real. We're going to live this steward life. We're going to be focused on Jesus. We're going to be focused on his people. We're going to be focused on his purpose. We're going to be satisfied with the seven words of faith. I don't know, but the Lord knows. Our prayers are going to transform from mm-hmm. prayers of my will be done to, to prayers of thy will be done. Will be done. And, and it, our purpose is going to be transitioned from this is my goal, my vision to Lord, give me your goal, your mm-hmm. vision, and give me yes. great joy in all Amen. of that. We're going to, our, our fear of loss is going to be crushed and um, faith is going to be the banner that's that's flying in front of us that people go, oh, there's that faith person again because they trust God so much. Uh, it's a miraculous and wonderful road that awaits us when we choose to live the life of stewards. That'll preach. That'll preach. Well, listen, God bless you guys. We will catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this series, and we're looking forward to coming at you with a new episode next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Harder Way podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.